Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 27, the Season 5 finale, Company Picnic. In this episode, Michael and Holly put on a skit, Corporate faces off against the Scranton branch, and Pam gets a sports injury. This cold open is kind of confusing within like the scope of the entire episode in terms of like when is this happening, but basically what happens is the office is taking advantage of some of the choices that Michael has made. <laughs> Yes, Michael decided that his lunch meal would be a family-sized chicken pot pie, which is somewhat of a heavy meal. Uh, And typically people have that, you know, 2 p.m. crash. And Michael fell asleep at his desk. So the rest of the office has decided that they're going to take full advantage of that. And they have changed the time on all the clocks. This, however, gets especially tricky in a couple of areas. And so Pam, Dwight, and Jim are working together to make sure this plan goes through flawlessly. There are three clocks that would potentially trip up this whole thing. The clock that is on Michael's computer, Michael's watch, and the clock that is in Michael's car. And so Jim goes about changing the clock on the computer. Pam changes the time on Michael's watch. And Dwight takes care of the clock in Michael's car. It's by a few hours. I want to say I did not catch what time it was actually when Jim started winding the clock to 10 till 5. But it's several hours at this point. And so... Everyone's on board, which is a little a little bit of a incongruity, I would say, because Dwight and Angela probably definitely wouldn't ever be on board with this. And there is some acknowledgement of Dwight saying, normally I wouldn't condone leaving early, but he has an appointment with the horse doctor. So he was on the lights at the same time, like right about five o'clock, and everyone just laughs really loudly to, to rouse Michael and acts and they act like there's this joke that everyone told and Pam says you know you had to be there Michael looks at the clock and it's like oh god it's time to go and everyone stands at their cars in the parking lot like waving at Michael until he drives out and everyone celebrates their good fortune of having a couple hours off I have to imagine that this kind of works out for everybody because with Michael not bothering them they probably got all the work done that they would have done for that day. And so at that point, it was like, well, we may as well go home. Yeah, it's one of those times, and we pointed this out before, where were there no calls, no sales meetings, something that just had, that was pressing or already scheduled. And sometimes there are people out of the office going to meetings The main part of this episode is the company picnic. And this happens every year. 
like most companies, there's this sort of employee appreciation thing. It's put on to get all the different branches together. We've never seen one of these happen before with Dunder Mifflin, which is a little surprising. We have seen, for instance, Casino Night, which was the Scranton Branch's annual fundraiser for charity. But we haven't seen this coming together of all the branches and corporate employees. It's unclear where this is at. Um, It's clearly kind of set in a park somewhere. Um, But someone's driving no matter what. It's likely not in New York City, I would say. There's far too few people for that. And then that would just be a logistical nightmare for every other branch. So probably the corporate branch has traveled somewhere. And it sounds like there's games and food and people got to bring a guest. uh, Because we see Stanley's wife. We see Bob Vance. Dwight has brought a friend. We see a couple family members, like kids and, and things like that. Right. So, is it, yeah, it's a, it's a family affair. Yes. For Michael, the bringing together of all the branches means seeing Holly. Side note, you know who we don't see is Karen. Good point, yeah. However, we could potentially deduce that maybe Karen would be on a maternity leave She was nearly ready to give birth when we saw her during the lecture circuit episode. But the reason that Rashida Jones wouldn't be there and thus Karen is that Parks and Rec was filming at the same time. So she just probably wouldn't have had the opening to come be a guest star. And I don't know how they would have worked in besides just like a quick maybe talking head or just a quick flash. I'm not sure that there would have been room to work Karen into a story. However, there's certainly room to work in this meeting between Michael and Holly. It's actually the first meeting since they broke up way back in episode four or five of this season when Michael moved Holly to Nashua. Because when they went on the lecture circuit, Holly was not there. And that's when Michael learned that she had this boyfriend, AJ. Now, AJ and Holly are still together. We see them instantly holding hands, walking up towards Michael. And so this definitely creates an awkward moment for really all three of them. And and for us, honestly, it is very just cringeworthy just to sit there and watch this happen. Part of it is Michael and Holly just being the people that they are and telling bad right. jokes to each other and them thinking it's the funniest thing in the world when, no, not really. And that will come up again later on in this episode. But mostly it is Michael really not knowing how to handle the situation. He can't decide what he wants to do be or how he wants to act towards AJ. Yes. He tries to be friendly, but almost every single time he tries that, it is immediately followed up with just kind of this dickish remark. Yeah, it's like a passive aggressive, but still smiling sort of thing. And AJ handles it well. Yeah. Like, for example... 
at a particularly awkward moment where Michael is just kind of trying to break the silence. He asks if they want lemonade or if just Holly wants lemonade or do both of you want lemonade? And Holly's like, sure, I'll take a lemonade. And AJ goes, actually, I'll have a nice tea. And Michael immediately goes, well, you can go to hell. <laughs> and he, it is supposed to be jokey, like just, a, well, nope, you know, you can't have iced tea. But we can tell that there is like, it is just right there in the middle of being a joke. And Michael very much meaning AJ can go to hell. Exactly. Exactly. Michael tries to, again, just be nice and ask what's going on with them. And Holly's not providing a ton of details. She knows this is hard for Michael. But AJ, I, I think rightfully so a bit, is doesn't have those reservations and doesn't see any need to tiptoe around Michael's feelings. And he just says, yeah, we're designing a house. And Michael's like, oh, cool, for who? Not make connecting those dots like and so AJ and Holly their relationship is serious just like AJ said several months ago when Michael came to the Nashua branch for the lecture circuit they have thoughts of a future together and I I I don't know I'm not sure how I would act if I was in AJ's situation I I can see where you think that AJ is just kind of taking this in stride and is very confident in the relationship that he and Holly have because he has to know that Michael and Holly have a past. I would would think. If he didn't before Michael came to Nashua, he sure was like, uh, hey, what's up with this weird guy that cried when he found out that we were dating? Yes. So it's entirely possible that AJ does not know about Holly and Michael's history. There is no confirmation. The extent of it. Yes. There is no confirmation that Holly and AJ have had a conversation about Michael and the fact that Holly and Michael used to date. Like you said, yes, it is probably very obvious otherwise. And so AJ seemingly is very confident in the relationship that he and Holly have if he is literally just sitting there kind of being a part of this conversation in this interaction that Michael and Holly are having because Michael and Holly are very much kind of back to their old ways yes they have a comfortability together i would say they like to joke they have very similar humor and it does feel as though aj is the third wheel at some points rather than michael being the third wheel i don't know how i would handle this if i was aj either it would it's it's definitely uncomfortable and at the end of the day though for AJ, he knows that he's the one going back to Nashville with Holly. Like, maybe that's what it comes down right, to. Right, because he doesn't come off as naive or clueless in this. He, It's not like he is just sitting there and, like, just has no idea or can't recognize the chemistry that Michael and Holly have. Right. And for Michael, this 
day, this company picnic, and the fact that he's getting the opportunity to do a comedy presentation with Holly on the history of Dunder Mifflin is his chance to, one, spend more time with Holly, but he has a list of reasons why they should be together. And reason number one is that he thinks they're soulmates. And so he's going to find the time to tell that to her today is what he has decided. Holly and Michael don't have anything prepared beyond the fact that they're going to do a comedy skit for this presentation. So they have they have to get together and write this up or think of ideas. And as they're sitting there, it's this very intimate thing. They're sitting on the grass, then they're laying on the grass, like alone, sort of secluded. Uh, it's it's very, they're very close. They're not sort of sitting far apart or yeah, sitting at a picnic table yeah, or something. Yeah. And there's definitely some moments when they are preparing the comedy routine and then when they have sort of the post-mortem on how they think it went, that there are those opportunities for Michael to say what's on his mind, to even kiss her. There's these, this, this intimacy to those scenes, I feel like. Absolutely. The comedy sketch that they both decided that they were going to do and yet did zero planning for beforehand goes about as well as you would expect. When they are in their planning session, they are kind of just bouncing ideas off of each other and it kind of seems like they settle on, they're going to do a parody of a movie and they end up on Slumdog Millionaire. Which would have been, this would have been maybe either a couple months or like a year after Slumdog Millionaire won some Oscars. So pop culturally relevant. Right. And they call it Slumdunder Mifflinaire. And I've never seen the movie. It's good. And so I don't have a lot of context here, but I feel like even if I did have the context, this would be... A bit of a stretch and it it just doesn't land with anybody no it doesn't land at all first of all a comedy presentation on the history of dunder mifflin itself the just the very idea of that is not super compelling and in the little nuggets of information we get from the sketch There's not a whole lot to the history of Dunder Mifflin besides Robert Dunder and Robert Mifflin meeting and then deciding to launch a paper company after like World War II or something. And so they go through the scenes of the movie and it gets awkward almost immediately. The the build towards the awkwardness here is very well played out. They start with just a general question. The first question is essentially, where did Robert Dunder and Robert Mifflin meet? The second question deals with the suicide of one of those two men. But everything really comes to a head with the third question. And the question is something along the lines of, the economic downturn forced the closing of two branches... And that will be soon followed by 
this branch and they list off three different branches. And so as they are listing these branches, the employees of those branches are a little surprised and confused and very much worried. Yes. Scranton was one of them, by the way, too. Yeah. The correct answer ends up being Buffalo. In the way that the skit and the Slumdog Millionaire movie works is there is sort of this torture scene about how you know, Michael is supposed to be playing this naive kid from the slums of Mumbai, I believe. And there's this torture scene of how did he know this information? And Michael fully admits, like, David Wallace told me under the, quote, you know, threat of torture. This just completely upsets the skit because the the Buffalo branch is outraged. David is standing right there. David is outraged. And then Holly and Michael sort of pause and Holly's like, oh, they didn't know. And I would expect more from Holly here. I would totally expect Michael to use information that is either secret or in confidence or personal for his own use and for comedic effect. Yeah. But I would definitely expect more from Holly. The next thing we see is David berating mostly Michael because he was the one that told this information to Michael, not to Michael and Holly, saying, what could possibly compel you to think that that would be a good thing to announce at the company picnic? Michael says he thought they knew, and David points out rightfully, they're here at the company picnic. Didn't you? Didn't that tip you off to the fact that this hasn't really been announced yet? Why on earth would, if we're shutting down a branch soon, you know, why would they want to be part of the company picnic? Which, it, you know, I don't know when corporate was planning to do this, but it is sort of an insult to injury type of thing. Like, well, at least you got one more company pic. I don't know. It depends how you want to look at it. Yeah. Like, at least you got a company picnic out of it with food and drinks. But So the skit did not go well at all. Michael has a more positive outlook on it than Holly does. Because Holly says, like, no one laughed. It didn't go over well. And Michael says, well, it's just a tough audience. And Holly points out, we wrote it specifically for this audience. It was about Dunder Mifflin. It was meant to elicit laughs with this group. And so they are they are talking here, and it seems as though Holly and AJ are getting ready to leave. And so Michael is kind of this is his last chance to say something and there is another long pause and he says that well at least we'll have a lot of material for next year's skit and there is this kind of knowing reaction by holly here in my mind because there is kind of this pause and she smiles at michael and just is like, yeah, we will. And so I don't like there, there is something there, I think. I think Holly knows what Michael wants to do and knows that Michael is in some sense a good enough guy that he's not going to do that thing. 
Yeah, and we know based on the letter that Michael stole from Holly's computer that Holly still has feelings. I think she is seeing sort of the harsh realities of the logistics of it. I think she is happy with AJ. She's satisfied with that, even even if maybe that's not the most compelling thing to her. We don't know, but she's happy enough with AJ. And I think she wasn't with Michael long enough before they had to be separated by, you know, the distance to take the chance with Michael. Michael tells the camera that he didn't tell Holly his feelings right now because he feels like they're going to be one of those couples that has a very long story. And he says they'll see each other again and maybe one year she'll be with somebody, maybe the next year he'll be with somebody, and they'll be glad to see each other, but eventually he knows they're going to get together. And it's a very mature sort of look at it, but also very like rose-colored because how is that happening? If, if you have that lack of inertia in in the relationship... But it is a much more mature outlook on relationships than we've ever seen from Michael. Yeah, and it's almost kind of jarring to see these moments from Michael where he is so real and isn't trying to impress people and is just a normal human being. Curtis and I sort of have a long story, I guess you could say, Our story is that we were introduced via Facebook by a mutual teacher. It was a teacher coach of mine in high school that also had Curtis at a different high school. Curtis is four years older than me, so knew Curtis from the high school that he went to and introduced us via Facebook. And we lived like 20 hours apart at this point. And we talked for a while and I was a real jerk and didn't respond back. And I had no immediate plans to even come back to Illinois for a short visit um, at that point to even meet. And three years later, we reconnected in a sense because we were playing pickup sand volleyball and Kurt, I was there before Curtis was there. He came up to the court and someone said he could just jump in. And somehow I just knew it was the same Curtis. I don't know very many Curtises, but just knew it was the same guy and was talking with him like in between points and, you know, trying to stand next to him and stuff. And so we sort of knew each other from these Facebook exchanges and then met again like years later so a similar storyline in the sense like the long-termness of it but not the like neither one of us was like holding out for For the other person yeah a little bit situation a little bit different from what michael is trying to talk about here speaking of pickup volleyball excellent segue into another part of this episode which is what is seemingly a volleyball tournament yes featuring the branches and corporate of dunder mifflin 
This can I just say this is weird. Why is it weird? I mean, it bothers me as someone that plays volleyball. <laughs> I mean, sure. Obviously, they didn't, you know, go out and get volleyball playing extras for these games. But even when Dwight is setting up the lineup, it's it, there's no recognition of like what the actual game of volleyball is. Now, the Scranton branch is is an interesting mix of people with some ability people with desire to play and people with no desire to play correct one thing that we do see in this scene is andy trying to get close to aaron which again just one of those random things that comes out of left field completely random not not that like we have seen this before we know that andy has a thing for aaron and they just didn't address it they they brought it up in the first episode that basically the first episode she was in and then didn't do anything with it and then they just throw it back in here randomly yes so andy wants to stand next to aaron in the rotation for this game and dwight doesn't really catch on to what andy is trying to ask for and instead sets him up next to Phyllis because Phyllis is the best setter so Andy could then spike the ball. But we quickly see that the Scranton team may actually be a force to be reckoned with. Sure. We see Aaron not be very good at volleyball. We see Kevin, kind of unsurprisingly, not be very good at volleyball. Yes. <laughs> and this is... Leading to some frustration from mostly Dwight. Yeah, Dwight takes this very seriously. Dwight is very, very much invested. And so when it is Pam's turn to serve, he is being very condescending and patronizing to her. Such a jerk. And is just like, okay, which hand are you? Are you right-handed or left-handed? Do you even know what that means? Okay, which hand do you answer the phone with? And Pam just kind of dismisses him. And then... Hits what we are meant to believe is just this unreturnable serve. We'll talk more about why this looks so goofy in the annex. But first of all, it's like a tennis serve that because she makes a grunt. And sometimes people do, but she's just doing a basic overhand float on a grass court. There's no need for like the the hula that happens every time she contacts the ball on the serve and then but we're the way she contacts it and again like I said we'll talk about why it looks so goofy it looks like she's gonna serve it under the net absolutely yeah (laughs) but when we see the ball go over it's like a line drive top spin serve straight to the ground basically she's getting a lot of aces or she's getting a lot of overpasses that Jim and Dwight clean up so because of Pam's secret weapon good serve the Scranton branch advances in this tournament now Phyllis is like oh god I don't actually want to do this so she she basically subs out for Meredith and then Ryan is again just Ryan and 
he isn't participating at all. He's not even standing in an actual position, and he's on his cell phone. So Ryan's sort of out of the game. I think we see maybe two different matches against other branches, and then it turns out that in the semifinals, you know, they're right there, Pam serves up an ace, they win, and they advance to play corporate. The game against corporate takes on, like, extra meaning after the whole Buffalo branch closing debacle in Michael and Holly's skit, and they kind of want to stick it to corporate after that. Yes, as you said, there is a lot of tension in this match, which is not helped by the fact that Charles is just dragging Jim every single chance he gets. And it started the moment that Jim and Pam walked into the picnic where Charles said, man, it's going to be great to get some rest from all that rest. To Jim. Yeah. Yeah, Charles. Charles ribs Jim literally the entire time. Which is just funny because now he's doing it pretty openly. (laughs) Yeah. And Jim says he's not even my boss anymore. Like, which is not, again, I don't think actually true. Yeah, he is. He He still is. He is still, he is above Michael. He's in the chain of command. Just like David is kind of, you know, Jim's boss as well. And so there is a point where Jim gets a spike or a block or something like that. And Charles is like, oh, look who decided to wake up. And so the match seemingly is back and forth. And at a certain point, Pam is running over to the sideline to pass the ball. To play a ball that's not hers. Yeah. And twists her ankle or hurts her ankle somehow. Or hurts. hurts. Weirdly falls on the grass. Potentially, maybe twisting. Yes, very unathletically, just crumples to the ground, essentially. Yes. And so, Pam, to her credit, is t- trying to gut it out and just play through this. And Charles says that, nope, sorry. Since this is a company activity, we have to consider this a company injury. We can't let you continue you will have to not play anymore you'll have to get that checked out yeah they want her to go get an x-ray right and so dwight says that he saw a small hospital not too far from the park he tells jim and pam to go to the hospital and that he will stall in the meantime and so dwight is checking in on jim and pam as they are in the hospital and jim is doing is doing his best to provide updates. He's saying she's with the nurse now. It'll be soon. And Pam is trying to move this along as well. And at one point, Dwight calls Jim and Jim says, she's in talking with the doctor right now. It'll be just a couple more minutes. Just keep stalling. And Jim gets called into the room and we see into the doctor's office through a window. And the doctor tells... Jim and Pam something that make them react with a lot of joy and they hug and they kiss each other and Jim steps out of the room calls Dwight back and says put in the subs and that is 
pretty much the episode. Now, we we know what the what the news is. I mean, you can infer it from several context clues, but it yes. wasn't it wasn't a secret after the finale either. As far as from the writers or the actors talking about the finale. I guess to everyone but Curtis, it's supposed to be extremely obvious what the news is. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I agree with you in the sense that using context clues, you can figure out that Pam is pregnant. Like, but they don't say it here. No, they don't say it. So the context clues are when she's getting wheeled off by the nurse to go get an x-ray, the nurse is just kind of doing the litany of what you go through for that. But one of the questions is, is there any chance you could be pregnant? Because you can't have an x-ray while you're pregnant unless it is just absolutely necessary. Now, it's an x-ray in her ankle sort of thing, so they would still ask and then take whatever precautions. And then also the reaction of Jim and Pam. There's not much medical news that can be surprising, but also joyous for the most part. Right. We can assume that the doctor did not tell Pam that her ankle is not broken. And then they reacted very, very happily and hugged each other. And then Jim immediately called Dwight and said, put in the subs. And we see, yeah, kind of just this emotional reaction from from Jim. Now clearly this is a surprise uh for Jim and Pam. This wasn't a planned thing. Yeah. And so that really does it for the episode. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. This episode was the 100th episode of The Office, which is a pretty big deal because it's a sign of a successful TV show and when the show started, there weren't a lot of people that thought they were going to get to this point. So here's the deal with Jenna Fisher's serve and Pam being good at volleyball. So Jen Salata, who's just a producer writer on the show, and Paul Lieberstein, who's a writer and plays Toby, didn't have a ton of time to write the script before it had to get out to the actors. So they couldn't vet who was actually athletically inclined and could maybe perform some of these scenes but also they needed it to be Pam so that you know there was a bit of the anger about you know and that she had to go off and and get her ankle looked at so Jenna Fisher not athletic doesn't really have a lot of volleyball talent also has a pre-existing shoulder injury that made overhand movement quite difficult So what had to happen was that some of her scenes, like some of it was a stunt double. Some of it was her, though, without a ball, just having her arm up but not making the serving motion. And then it was computer generated after the fact. And that's why it looks ridiculous. And again, to me, someone that really loves, watches a lot of volleyball, plays volleyball. It looks like I a don't think, tennis serve. I don't think it, it, it takes a love for volleyball to re- realize that at all. Like, yes, there are, she is hitting line drives. Even if they didn't, it's funny because it's like they computer generated it as if 
that's exactly what the ball would do if she was serving that way. Because if she was serving that way, she'd just be hitting line drive. She's hitting the ball like... Like a tennis serve. But not even that. Like, she's hitting it at, like, face level. Like, she's hitting it just to the side of her head rather than up above her head. It's... it's, Rather than a tennis serve, it's more like a shot put motion a little bit. It, It just... It has bothered me... Since I've seen this episode. Also, along the lines of Pam playing volleyball, huge continuity error because you think back to season four and the job fair, she said that she would fake PMS to get out of playing volleyball in gym class, which is a little different than maybe playing either on the school team or recreationally, but the writers did acknowledge that as like a continuity error. This whole episode was filmed in Malibu over four days, and they had 360 extras to play all the people of all the different branches. And all the extras during Michael and Holly's comedic skit were instructed not to react. But Steve Carell and Amy Ryan were not let in on that information. So in order to create sort of that stage fright and that awkwardness of the performance, and Amy Ryan was sort of really thrown by that because she thought there was going to be reaction uh, from the crowd. Curtis, do we have any firings? I don't think so. And that is ironic because of the scene where David Wallace is just berating Michael and Holly. This is probably the most angry we have ever seen anybody at Michael, despite all the just really, really dumb things that he does. Yes. What is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee award is the Can't Let It Go award. And it goes to Charles and Rolf. And Rolf is Dwight's new best friend that he met at a shoe store. And this is a little bit of Annex coming into my Dundee, but originally Rolf was supposed to be Moe's, like Dwight's date, quote unquote, plus one for the company picnic was Moe's, but Michael Schur had created Parks and Rec and he was needing to film and oversee the Parks and Rec season finale for season one. So not available. So that's why this Rolf character was created and then literally never shows up again. So Charles, can't let it go, we already touched on it, is just the constant ribbing and putting down of Jim (laughs) every chance that he gets, which I think is just a way to give some comedic uh, material to Idris Elba. And then Rolf has taken it upon himself to berate Angela any chance he gets as a way to defend his best friend Dwight, whom Angela betrayed kind of I guess actually she betrayed Andy with Dwight so Rolf you know I think there I think because Dwight was hurt by the fact that Angela had slept with Andy when she told Dwight that she was in love with him and was only sleeping with him that's that betrayal and then Rolf is sort of a weird guy which that's who you expect Dwight to be friends with and he takes that to kind of an extreme What is your Dundee? The Hidden Talents Award go to Dwight, Jim, and Oscar, who seemingly, and most specifically, the actors who play those characters, because those three are seemingly the only competent volleyball players (laughs) on the 
Scranton squad. We see Oscar make a couple decent passes. Mm -hmm. And Dwight has an idea how to set. He's, I mean, it's overhand and it gets to where it needs to be. And then Jim, we know that John Krasinski is kind of an athletic guy. Like we saw in the episode where they play basketball against the warehouse guys. Like John Krasinski can move around pretty well. And so he, similar to myself as a volleyball player, really just kind of relies on athleticism. And so he is able to jump up and spike and do the things that a guy that is that tall in the front row is expected to do. I feel like Idris Elba is a little bit similar in that regard as well. Yeah. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Jim and Pam just because they're pretty happy with their shocking news. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Pam just because of her secret weaponness and just kind of turns the tide of the entire Dunder Mifflin company picnic volleyball tournament. Sure. So that wraps up this season. And in looking back, and this kind of happens every single season when we do the finale episode and looking back on the previous episodes, this season really kind of covers a lot of ground. It's easy to forget that this season starts with the weight loss challenge. And so we see kind of the peak of the relationship between Michael and Holly. And as we kind of alluded to earlier, that relationship ends four or five episodes into the season. And so seeing Michael and Holly kind of reunite and have these interactions in this episode kind of gives a proper bookend to the season. I would agree with that. Also, when we started the season, Jim and Pam had were getting engaged in the weight loss episode. And we've had the Michael Scott Paper Company excursion. We've had the breakup of Andy and Angela and also Dwight and Angela. So a lot of relationship movement. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the... The season takes place in clumps, and so you you have the whole Michael and Holly thing for the first couple episodes, and then af- a little bit after that, you have the whole Dwight, Andy, Angela love triangle, and then not a whole lot happens. And, and another thing that kind of gets thrown in there is the baby shower. So Jan has her baby in this, epi- right, in this right. season. And so... Yeah, and so you just get these kind of clumps of episodes that are separated by episodes that eh, not a whole lot happens. And most of those episodes really aren't great. With, I would say, the exception of one, which is probably up there in the best Office episodes of all time, which is Stress Relief, where nothing happens in that episode, but it is everybody just playing their part really really well yes that is a great episode customer service is a great episode to me also we forgot to mention pam was gone for a while with with art school so it's been a full season but not a great deal of progress like i would say we made let's say in season three yeah as for this season's firings 
we have 12 different people get fired. Which is most of the office. It's actually 13. Uh, Kendall, the HR, the head of HR, assumingly does get fired in this season, but we never see him. So um, 12 he different. Actually, he actually appears in this episode briefly talking to Toby. He's the is, corporate. Is that? Yeah. Uh, I, okay. Yeah. Title. I guess we can assume that's, yeah, who that is. They never give him a name, but yeah, it's a good, good assumption. Good catch. Uh, so yes, 12 different people get fired in this season. It was a very, very tight race down to the end as to who would get the most firings. And that's probably the first time we've ever seen this. Usually, <laughs> Usually it is Michael. Michael heads and tails above everybody else. But Dwight Lee led the firing count for basically the entire season all the way up until i believe last episode where michael gets fired dwight does not get fired so michael led the way with 12 firings this season dwight with 11 and then pam is third with four wow so that wraps up this season we go into next season knowing that pam and jim are pregnant and so that is kind of the big storyline leading into the following season but as for where the show goes overall there really isn't a whole lot of direction at this point right we know dunder mifflin as a company right now is struggling a bit financially with the global financial crisis michael has decided to sort of let whatever happens with holly happen aaron is there ryan is there we don't really know. There's not a cliffhanger for this season finale, I would say, about how next season will unfold. Right. But we will be there to go through all of that with you guys. So thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And continue listening on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.